Hi, I'm Peter Whittle. Now, just a very quick message from me, uh, a reminder about our upcoming national conference. It's on Saturday, the 22nd of April. That's the day before St. George's Day in Birmingham. Do get your tickets. It will be a great day. So uh, to do that, just go to the link below this video. That's our conference, NCF in Birmingham, 22nd of April. See you then. You're watching Deprogrammed. I'm Harrison Pitt, a writer for the European Conservative, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Evan Riggs, who's a freelance journalist, and Stephen Edgington, who is a journalist for The Telegraph. Now, Steve, as I understand that you've recently been in Washington, D.C. at CPAC, could you tell our viewers what that is? So CPAC is where every year American conservatives gather to have fun, to network, to watch speeches, and in recent years, it has become a major event where Donald Trump and his supporters have gathered. People are now calling it TPAC <laughs> uh, because it's such a Trump-dominated yes. um, event. And it's usually a lot of fun. This year, it was held in Washington, D.C. But every year, usually you've got thousands and thousands of American conservatives coming together and, and discussing and debating and, and networking. And why were you there for The Telegraph? What were you looking to, f to find out? We were there to find out whether Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, his rival for the Republican primary, um, were popular among American conservative activists, essentially. So I wanted to find out whether Trump had sort of lost his shine, as it were, among American conservatives. And we went around and interviewed a load of people, sort of just general people milling around. And, uh, and yeah, we wanted to find out who they supported and whether there was some, I also wanted to find out the nuances behind what, whether they like, why they like Trump still, or whether they didn't like Trump or what they thought of other candidates like DeSantis. And what, go on, go how, on did, how did it break down? Did you come away thinking it's gonna be Trump or DeSantis? Well, I came in there thinking that DeSantis had a good shot at being the Republican candidate because I think he's the safe bet. I think he's the smart bet for a Republican. He's got Trump's policies and agenda, but without the baggage. So he isn't tweeting, he isn't making these, uh, what I would call narcissistic comments, where he makes everything about him, this sort of crazy um, sort of Twitter storms all the time, media storms, okay, it has its advantages as well, um, but it turns a lot of people off. So I'd have thought, if you're a Republican voter, DeSantis makes perfect sense. And I was there at CPAC for, for three days. It, was a, it ran for four days, I think. Well, I, I was there for the whole time, but, um, but ma the main, the, the, the main uh, events were, were over a Wednesday, uh, Thursday and Friday. And on the first day that I was there, I couldn't find one DeSantis supporter. So we went around <laughs> interviewing all of these, uh, um, these kind of MAGA, you know, loving people love Trump. Yeah. Um, some of them hadn't even heard of DeSantis. Really? Or, or they didn't know anything about him. Really. They, were, they were pretending yeah. not that, to have heard of it. No, no, that actually doesn't surprise me at all. What people fail to realize, I think a lot of the like right-wing kind of intelligentsia yeah. is all the things that people find deplorable about Trump is what the deplorables love about him. Yes. And then these people have no time for anything else. Yes. For better or for worse, I mean, Trump's base, which is only growing by the hour at this point with his indictment, mm. is fanatics. And it's a good thing to have, you know, 50% of uh, the Republican base be completely fanatical for you, mm. you know. The question is whether that translates to success in a general election, though. So that, that this is what I think what Steve is saying and saying that DeSantis is, is, is the safe bet. Trump is, there's no question that Trump's an, an incredibly 
magnetic personality. He's clearly a force of history. Uh, and and th th there hasn't really been a president, a, a, a character like him in American politics, arguably since Theodore, Ro Theodore Roosevelt. But the question is, as Steve says, there's no question that Trump is very good at electrifying that Republican base and getting them excited and, and you know, driving them to the polls in a, in a primary or even in a general election. But, the, but, you know, whether we like it or not, he did lose, if we're talking in pure popular vote terms, he did lose the 2020 election by 7 million votes, if you believe the official figures, which of course many people don't. But if you do believe the official figures, he lost that election by 7 million votes. And I don't know if there are sort of 7 million voters in America who are going to switch to Trump on the basis of the fact that he's being pursued and indicted at the moment. Like, unjust though that is. And it's, it, I, I, DeSantis is much better with independence. He's much better with suburban women. And, you know, you can be as attached as you like to a, 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 to a personality. There's a certain romance around Trump that has been since 2016. But the question is whether you want to be heroic and lose, or whether you want to be a little bit more dry and effective, but actually win. And I think DeSantis would, I think Trump could beat Biden in 2024, don't get me wrong, but I think it's more of a gamble. And it's, and, but the people there, well, they weren't sort of receptive to that kind of thinking. Well, I had an interesting journey there. Okay. And I think, um, listen, as I said, CPAC over recent years has become a very, very Trump dominated yes. event, right? So all of his supporters are going to CPAC. You didn't have his rivals really speaking mm. on the stage. So you had uh, Nikki Haley, I think, who actually got booed off the stage or went well, not booed qu not quite I'm Good. rephrasing that <laughs> she, she came out of the the stage room and people were shouting Trump 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 like this so there was a there was I okay. think Vivek oh, I can't pronounce his name. you know who I'm talking about the other yes, candidates Vivek Ramasaway yeah so he's he's the other candidate who's sort of announced hmm. what there's a, there's actually another guy in recent yeah, days who, Asa uh, Hutchinson yes that's right former that's governor of Arkansas everyone was you know waiting to see whether Asa would wholly <laughs> strong one percent exactly exactly but basically if there wasn't any people who yeah. who didn't support Trump really major kind of figures sure. speaking at CPAC this year like DeSantis he could have been there but he chose not Apparently to. Apparently he was invited. Yeah, he was invited. Totally, he could have been there. Yeah. He to and yeah. the guys who run it is a guy, so, so I think it's called Matt and Matt Mercedes Slap, yeah. um, who, who there's a bit of controversy at the moment over Matt Schlapp's, uh, he's being sued by someone or there's some allegations to do with sexual assault. Okay. Um, anyway, so, so CPAC has become very Trump dominated. However, mm. on the second day of CPAC, I did meet some DeSantis supporters. And there's an interesting, what I found was there was an interesting reluctance to say on camera that they supported DeSantis oh. because they felt that Trump was such a sort of dominating personality and I think that you know people were describing it to me like there's a Trump cult mm. and I think I really saw that you know people were saying some extraordinary things about that you know this is like the messiah this guy mm. is like um he's gonna save our you know save our country blah blah, blah. Mm. I mean fine you know and so so I did find some of those DeSantis supporters they were less willing to talk to me like on camera um, so maybe there's an underlying support for DeSantis, but I think with the recent indictment, um, this may be changing things, or at least it's changed things in the polls. Mm. I mean, like Donald Trump's lead has massively increased. Mm. And just to finish my CPAC story, on the third day when Trump was speaking, so he made a speech and everyone, you yeah. know, they want to keep everyone at CPAC so they have him speak at the very last moment, the yeah. last day. Um, I went and see the, saw the speech and I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was absolutely amazing yeah. as a speaker. Mm. And this is the thing, I, you know, don't underestimate Trump's star power. I mean, he's incredibly charismatic, mm. extremely funny. You know, one of the funniest people probably of the century. Um, <laughs> just his sense of timing. He is a fantastic, yeah. um, you know, speaker and someone who sort of 
can rile up a crowd. And there was, uh, was in this sort of journalist pack at the back of the CPAC hall. Yeah, so yeah. there's a sort of massive stage area with thousands and thousands of seats, and they put the journalists right at the back. Yeah, and I yeah. think, you know, obviously they, we need cameras to film it at the back, but I think they were sort of slightly punishing us, which yes. is fair enough. Um, <laughs> but but that also meant that the journalists were, were put right at the back next to all the seats at the back, which were empty. So what I was watching was all the journalists were like going around taking Filming photos of all the yeah. empty seats because yeah. they were right next to them. Anyway. Um, and by these, these journalists, you mean like the CNN and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like all, those, the others, all the other journalists, the American journalists yes. who were there. Um, so I was very impressed with Trump's speech, and I mm. thought he was very funny, and he made me laugh. Um, does DeSantis have the same star mm. quality? I don't know. I mean, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I mean, I have seen DeSantis speak live. I was in. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in. Uh, we, we, we were both together. There. We were both together. Yeah, we were. We were in um, Florida for NatCon in when was it? September time. September, yeah. September time, roughly. And DeSantis, I, I thought, was pretty good actually. He gave oh, a pretty electrifying totally speech. You, you totally disagree. Dude, I was like, falling asleep and I was, I, I was being paid. I was <laughs> supposed to be transcribing it. I could barely do it. I thought it was, I thought it was quite entertaining in places. He was, talk, he was talking about his record in very sort of just, I'm not going to pretend it's as charismatic as Trump. It clearly isn't. It's, it doesn't even come close to being as charismatic as Trump. But he was, I thought, pretty effective in saying, um, in sort of listing the, the many wonderful things he's done in Florida as governor and satirizing the left. Yeah, I, I listen, I like DeSantis mm. a lot. I'm mm. a registered Florida Republican. Um, and I think having DeSantis as the king of Florida is great. Mm. But that speech was essentially him just reading off a list of statistics. It was an Excel spreadsheet, you know, for an hour. And I think if you're going to, you know, people talk about, oh, well, I think DeSantis would have a better chance against Biden. But to go up against Biden, you first have to beat Trump. So mm. before you, we can even talk about it generally, you have to talk about the primary. And there's no chance that he's going to come anywhere close to beating Trump in the primary. And I think if he does, Trump will just annihilate him. He'll, he'll hit him with like a low energy jab <laughs> or something, meatball Ron, whatever he's calling him. And DeSantis will have to put his tail between his legs. I disagree. I, th I think that DeSantis has a chance. As I said, there are some people at CPAC who, who didn't know who he was or didn't, or didn't feel that they knew enough about him. And as the primaries come closer, people mm. begin to learn a bit more about him. Maybe they won't be impressed with him because of mm. his poor speaking qualities. But I think he has, you know, if he can fix that and if he can become a bit more charismatic and show mm. off his fantastic record in Florida, mm. then maybe the, the polls will, 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 will sort of turn a bit, maybe a bit. Mm. Also, if you look at individual state polls, DeSantis is leading Trump in some oh, yeah, key sure. states. And, you know, when you look at those kind of overall statistics of the, the US-wide polls between mm. Trump and DeSantis, they can be a bit misleading sometimes because obviously the primary is all about what happens within yeah, individual states. This is also a key point though, because for the US, you know, I would much rather have 10 or 15 DeSantises than, you know, running as a, as a, as a governor of a state sure. uh, than one president. One president You'd, you'd be much yeah. better off. Yes. And I think having, you know, for better or for worse, America's permanently sort of bifurcated at this point. Sure. And I think it, the real wins are going to be on the local level. So having DeSantis run Florida, which is now like sort of a conservative refuge, and they're going to kind of like try to cut it off from the mainland like Bugs sure. Bunny, mm. is uh, better in the end than having him as president. He's going to be able to get more done. But he, but yes, but within a limited time span. So I mean, he, he, according to the Florida Constitution, his time as governor will run out in I think 2026. He won't be able to run again. So if DeSantis is a useful person in American politics to have, if he, if he, he can't be, be governor of Florida in perpetuity, it, it certainly wouldn't hurt to have him as president. He'd certainly be, be, be a better president than, than, than Joe Biden. But what I want to ask you, Evan, you say, to say the least, <laughs> to say the least, but I, what I want to ask you, Evan, um, you were talking there about how, you know, we need to get 
to the primary before we get to a general election. And so all talk about a general election is sort of academic until that point. It seems to me that one of the things which should be on the table in the primary is whether or not you can win a general election. Because there's no use um, Trump winning a primary oh, with yeah. all that no, passion he and then losing an election. He, he can win. He can beat Biden for sure, but he just can't beat Trump. That's that's my, uh, my viewpoint on it. Like, mm. if you put him up against Biden, he would get a lot of sort of center-left Democrats, these people that can't stand Trump. They find him completely disgusting. Mm. A lot of, like, the heterodox crowd would happily vote for DeSantis. Mm. But he'll just never get there. And I mean, mm. you know, if they arrest Trump today, they put him in handcuffs and they give him the mugshot, all Trump has to do is put that mugshot on a t-shirt and sell it for $50. Yes. He'll never have to raise another mm. cent in his life. And that, you know, that's propaganda at a level above and beyond the MAGA hat. Like, you, you just, you can't buy economic, like, you, you can't buy something like that. Like, it, it just has to fall into your lap. Yes. DeSantis is nothing to counter this. And he's in the position of having to defend Trump. Mm. If you see recent speeches of his, you know, he can't even say Trump's name because he's kind of running, but he hasn't announced mm. it yet. Which he should just announce it if he's going to do it. Um, he's like, well, it's, it's not right what Alvin Bragg, this DA in New York, is doing, you know, indicting former presidents on these trumped-up charges, trumped-up... But he, he won't mention Trump by name, and his defense is, is always couched behind the fact that he, he is yet to announce to a degree. So you're in the position of having to run against a guy mm. who you also have to defend, who's also a citizen of your state. Mm. He has criticized Trump, though, in, in, in uh, an interview in with the Piers Morgan. In the Piers Morgan interview recently, yeah. Um, so he has, he has done that, and I think the primary is about 10 months away. Mm. A lot can change in that time. You know, sure. it, looks, it looks pretty good for Trump mm. now with the indictment obviously riling up his base, but... Who's to say that that will stick in people's minds in ten mm. months' time? Maybe there be there could be anything that could happen in that time. And the other, so DeSantis is super interesting because there's lots of debates in America as to whether he's sound. You know, that's the that's the phrase I'd use in, in the mm -hmm. UK. You know, is this is this guy really a MAGA Trump guy in terms of his ideology, or is he a creature of the Republican establishment? Yeah, exactly. And particularly mm. in foreign policy, you know, this is where like the big debate is over. You know, the woke stuff. Everyone can basically agree on that, sure. other than some kind of. Bill Crystal types in America, yes. Um, but but it's the foreign policy where he's being really being tested on. And DeSantis is sort of he's he's starting to slowly say some views on that. So he talked about Ukraine right being a, a regional conflict, and then he sort of had to row back he on back that from it a little bit, when a little bit, but not too much. He's but a been quite bit, yeah. he's been quite nuanced. So the mm. test with him is whether is whether. Um, whether he is sound on those things, according to the sort of MAGA measurements, you know, trying to determine if he's a neocon in sheep's clothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think he is. I don't think he is. But it'll be interesting to see what he says. And the other criticism that DeSantis has a lot is particularly from donors. So this mm. is an interesting um, anecdote from CPAC. Actually, was you know, the whole point of CPAC is to kind of have fun as well. Mm. And we were at the bar and we were speaking. You know, get speaking to all these. Like interesting people sure. from all over the world, not only just from America, but there's people from Germany, people from Hungary, people from Poland. It was, you know, fascinating. Um, but we got speaking to a one, one of the evenings to an, an American donor, sort of fairly wealthy guy who'd ran for, actually he'd ran to be the RNC chair a few times. He came like third or second or something. And so he's really sort of well-connected within that sort of GOP donor base, right? And he's a, sure. he's a Floridian. And he'd been to some of these sort of donor meetings with DeSantis, and he'd spoken with DeSantis, and he gave me these stories about DeSantis being very awkward, being you know like basically not sucking up to these donors. Mm. And he said, "This is terrible. You know, he's he's never going to win because he's not going to raise enough money." Um, you know, he told me about people who'd given DeSantis like millions of dollars, and mm. they were waiting in this queue to, for some food, 
and DeSantis, all, all DeSantis cared about apparently was to go and get the food and he just like completely ignored all the donors <laughs> and was like, I know I just want like a steak or something like that. Um, and I said to him, I'm sorry, I don't care. Like, okay, I think DeSantis will be fine. I think he's going to raise a lot of money because he's like the only credible candidate. Well, he's, he's already he's, got a lot left over from his gubernatorial campaign. Absolutely. And yeah. I, think, I think there are so many people in America who don't want Trump you know, Republicans who don't want Trump to be the candidate, mm. they'll give DeSantis, if they think DeSantis is the best chance of stopping Trump, they'll mm. give him money basically no matter what. And yeah. there's this donor saying, oh, you know, he's he's so insulting to the donors. Sure. I was like, I'm sorry, if I'm a, a normal Republican American voter, I couldn't care less mm. if, if DeSantis is, is good to his donors or not. I mean, in fact, it's probably a, an advantage because he's not sort of hoodwinked or, you know, uh, under their spell in any way, or ha- you know, there's no pressure on him to do to do what they want him yes, to do. So the, 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 the question, though, which the MAGA base is inevitably going to end up end up asking off the back of that is, why are all these donors so interested in donating, in giving their money to DeSantis? I think, that, yeah, in, yeah. in a way, the fact that donors are sort of, you know, you're congregating around DeSantis like flies counts against DeSantis well, the in a primary. Well, the are trying to paint DeSantis in that That's, way, right? Exactly. So they're saying, you know, Paul Ryan has said that DeSantis is like his Jeff candidate. Bush. And Jeb, but yeah. yeah, so they're really trying to sort of paint yeah. DeSantis as like yes. rhino figure. Yeah. I mean, the the other the interesting thing is like Trump, the people that Trump appoints, you could argue are like some of the most like left wing kind of Jared Kushner types. You know, <laughs> the people that around Trump that, that Trump yes. chose when he was president mm. as his main advisors well, were a what? massively incompetent mm-hmm. and b yeah. um, you know not not. MAGA Republicans yeah. and just look at what Trump Trump didn't even manage to build the wall exactly he didn't even manage to do this, that this, so this, which is, is center, the, the centerpiece of his campaign and this is one of the things which this went in that interview with Piers Morgan that's one of the things that DeSantis does mention that look I'm actually good at making sure that everyone in my team yeah. is pulling in the same in, in the, in, that, in, in yeah, the same direction he says things like I would have fired Fauci I wouldn't have kept Deborah Burks in, in, in place. I, he didn't mention Jared Kushner, although I'm sure he could have done. DeSantis, notoriously, we're talking about Soros-backed DAs going after Trump yeah, at the yeah. moment. DeSantis, DeSantis notoriously got rid of a, um, of a, um, a, prosecutor, of, of a yeah. progressive yeah. prosecutor who'd been backed by George Soros because it was undermining law and order in his state. So he's, DeSantis is, I think one thing that he certainly does have on Trump is that he's a, a much more effective, disciplined administrator. I, I think very, few, very sure. few people can question that. The problem is, is that if the main issue in this campaign becomes devotion and loyalty to Trump. There's only one winner. And I, I think that that's the direction in which we're going. And I think the, the, this current indictment only helps along, uh, helps that attitude. Uh, yeah, to this is definitely sort of Trump's fundamental fatal flaw in 2016 was that everybody he hired hated him and hated what he stood for. But I think, mm. and I think in 2020, you know, regardless of you'd say like, can he win again in 2024 having come back? Mm. I think there's enough people now and there's been enough kind of alternative infrastructure to build mm. up people with the capabilities of like running the administration that that will be less of an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will, yeah, 100%, I'll give DeSantis the fact that like his team is completely aligned mm. and he's been radically efficient across like multiple different multiple different levels of the state. Like you've seen this thing that he's done with Chris Rufo yes. carving out Florida New College Mm. and like basically firing all their kind of DEI commissars and their mm. upper administrators. Mm. Like, I would like to see this kind of, as again, I would like to see DeSantis in Florida up until the very end, maybe he can run 2028, but I want to see how far he can get fully focused on this and seeing if that can be exported to other states mm. rather than trying to beat Trump at his own game. It wouldn't surprise me if DeSantis is 
coming close to agreeing with you actually at this point. Maybe I mean, it's perfectly possible that one of the reasons why DeSantis is delaying his announcement is because he wants to assess the landscape and if the sort of the Trump... He'll run, no. He'll you you think he will run? He'll definitely run. I think so. Because I don't think he will. Uh, well, people say like he can run in 2028 and, and it's fine. Like give Trump his, his, his turn. His dark and, could be and, gone. And he, yeah. you know, exactly. I mean, what's what's going to say? It? What's that? So five years time? Yeah, and and, and the, another. Think about the politicians five exactly. years ago. Were exactly. they, you know, there's no chance that they were going to run in five years. Do you know what I mean? So exactly. And, he, and also, he, he probably sees this as his only and best opportunity. And also, I mean, part of DeSantis's whole raison d'être as a Republican at the moment is, I look what I have done in Florida, like, and as I say, and his, the midterms his, as well, and the midterms. Yeah. And as I say, um, his term expires in 2026. That's two years between 2026 and the 2028 election. What's he going to have to run on? What's he going to do? Is he going to find a seat as a senator of some kind? Like, I mean, it's not. It's very easy. It's very difficult in uh, in American politics to uh, sustain the attention of the electorate yeah, week by week, <laughs> little by week, little year by year. Yeah, so I, I wonder whether this, maybe, maybe DeSantis will um, will gamble this time around. But one thing I want to to bring it on to is um, we're talking there about. Um, the fact that DeSantis is sort of pitching himself as a more effective administrator, he, he's going to, so for example, he, he'd be much better, say, at taming the, the bureaucracy in Washington, getting rid of sort of, um, uh, you know, permanent functionaries who do nothing other than frustrate the agenda of elected politicians. This is a phenomenon which we've seen developing all over uh, the West at the moment in advanced democracies. The people get their say every four years, in America every five years, in this country, but often, you know, elect elected politicians come and go. But there are nevertheless these sort of permanent functionaries, the so-called deep state people who sort of stick around and often are ideologically motivated in their own way. And so I was going to talk about Britain for a minute. Steve, you've done lots of uh, research into sort of the ideological leanings of people in the civil service. Um, do you have a comment on the way in which that frustrates the ability of sort of conservative politicians to get their agenda done? Well, it frustrates conservative politicians to the extent that conservative politicians have a, have an agenda to uh, enact, um, which I don't think that you know in the UK we, yes. we don't have a Ron DeSantis figure who wants to do this stuff. Sure. So, part of it is 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 willingness from the politicians mm. to actually tackle. Let's say, for example, diversity and inclusion. Mm. I mean, look at the Equality Act. So, for people that don't know, Equality Act 2010 passed under the dying sort of months of the Labour. Brown um, government. The Tories mm. obviously have had every chance to. Uh, repeal it and in, in fact they've actually amended it to make it even worse mm. so the Equality Act basically um, enshrines under law certain protected characteristics that you can't legally discriminate against people with um, so whether you're gay or you're um, you know straight or you're man or woman you know so basically these sort of certain characteristics gender identity whatever are all protected under the law against discrimination and this is used as an excuse and particularly by the way um, it's there are particular uh, sort of sections to do with the public mm. sector, mm. so that are relevant to the public sector of the Equality Act. So basically, these these all, the public sector organisations cannot discriminate in any way, and the civil service uses this legislation to pass what we call woke, you know, um, woke acts. So initiatives. Yeah. Initiatives, yeah. yeah. So like networks, for example, they have all these networks. Give us, an, give us an example. Yeah. So like they've got the gay network <laughs> and they've got the trans. They've got one called a. Yeah. Agenda, yes. which is a very ironic name. I mean, yeah. agen agenda. Yeah, agenda. Uh, oh, no. yeah so agenda. <laughs> this is, I think, this is the trans one or the yeah, gender yeah. identity one, sure. which is one of the worst kind of uh, sort of yeah. initiatives or uh, networks that pushes these ideas. Yeah. So these gen so these networks basically are, are organisations within the civil service. Sure. The civil servants can sign up to. Some of them are 
cross-departmental tool, so you can any civil servant can sign up to them. But there's loads and loads of them that are sort of specifically so for various departments. Mm. So like the health department will have a gay network, but so will you know the defence, like MOD, or whatever. Mm. Anyway, so these networks are just one example of how the civil service is sort of perpetuating woke ideas. Mm. And so these networks, they might hold events like World Afro Day, which celebrates um, you know this this sort of Afro hairstyle, mm. which is uh, I'm actually quite sympathetic to that. Yeah, thing. well, <laughs> uh, you should, you should sneak come in there. Yeah. Um, and this is this, so that's one of the stories I broke. You know, with the Telegraph was about mm. this World Afro Day. It was part of a big story we did yeah. on civil service wokeness. And if you looked at like who was speaking at this World Afro Day event, it was like people from MI5, people from MI6. <laughs> you know, people from across yeah. the entire government apparatus. Yes, yes, and that's just like the most ridiculous thing sure. that we don't need this this um, complete waste of time and money and resources and it's pernicious and it's political mm. and if you're a civil servant you need to be impartial and it's obviously not impartial because we're talking about it and we disagree with it and there are some <laughs> people who still don't agree with this stuff yes. anyway as you say you know civil servants of course they're part of this kind of cultural revolution right i mean you know the massive shift to the left mm. in culture yes um civil servants are, their backgrounds are overwhelmingly from kind of russell group universities oxbridge they live in cities mm. you know they're very socially liberal mm. and most of them based in London and you know so it's no surprise that they they disagree with what the government's doing mm. and unfortunately um they're no longer not that perhaps they never really were but mm. they know they're no longer they no longer hold that um that mantle of impartiality mm. as, mm. as 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 important as it, as it used to be mm. or I'm going to add a bit of nuance to that they probably think they are being impartial because they think that their ideas are sort of universal mm. And if you disagree with the ideas, you're like racist, mm. you're conservative. They don't understand what conservatism mm. is. Yeah. They don't understand conservative beliefs. They don't mm. understand why anyone would disagree with with their basic yeah. fundamental values of yes. what like of human rights yeah. or of gay equality or whatever. So they, they view themselves as being impartial arbiters of government policy. They, yeah, they think their views are sort of the equivalent of being against kicking babies in the face. Right, but, yeah, right, yeah. right. And well, uh, go on. in a way, it's like the myth of neut neutral institutions, but these people are the institution. And I think even apart from their general sort of political outlook, pragmatically, all the incentives are there for them to entrench themselves in this kind of bureaucracy and never let go. They're dug in there like ticks. Psychologically, these people are not the kind of go-getters. They're not entrepreneur types. They're not standing above the crowd, you know, declaring that themselves are Spartacus mm. until everybody else does it too. What they want is they want a boss and they want people around and underneath them. And if they're kind of lodged in there, there's mm. no way you can remove them. As long as they don't have their head above the parapet, they're set. And I think, you know, for most people, I mean, most people don't want to get in front of cameras and talk about politics. Most people don't want to run and, you know, really put themselves out there. Your average person just wants to be secure. And this is security at a level that, you know, you can only, you can only dream of. You can't get rid of these people unless you're willing to, you know, that fire to the whole thing sure even if they're incredibly incompetent even if they break the law i mean okay i'll give you a great example you can get right angus lapsley have you heard of him so I'm he's an extremely senior civil servant in the mod so he was the head of like the european strategy or something like that and he left some highly secret top secret documents at a bus stop in kent um, and there's some rumors as to why he left them there but i won't go into that um but but he left them at a bus stop and they were to do with NATO uh, troop movements in Afghanistan oh and the Royal Navy's uh, exercises around the Crimea. Uh, so this is serious stuff. Yeah. 
a member of the public picked up these documents and gave them to the BBC, who published some of them, obviously not all of them, okay. but some of them. Which, by the way, is contentious as to whether they should have done that. But, but that's not the point. So what happened to Angus Lapsey? Okay, there was an investigation. His name wasn't released until the press found out his name. And I actually found out his name really annoying on a, on a Friday um, morning. Yeah. And we were going to, the Telegraph were going to publish the name on like a Monday, the next Monday. And the Guardian got it out on the Sunday. So I was like, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, yes, yeah, so Angus Lapsey. Well, that is annoying. We got scooped. Yeah. It happens. Um, but yes, anyway. So, so what happened to Angus? So he, he, he didn't get fired. He didn't get uh, prosecuted. Um, his security clearance wasn't taken away. He got moved to the Foreign Office. Okay, so what does he do now? He works for NATO. He's like, <laughs> he's one of the most senior, um, I forget his exact job title, but he's one of the most senior directors at, at NATO. Um, I did a story about this when he got appointed to NATO. I was like, yeah. this guy is a security risk. Yeah, yeah. This guy is a complete disaster. I mean, he, he, he potentially put like British lives at risk by, le- by leaking the Afghanistan situation where we have troops on the ground. Absolutely. There, yeah. so, so this is one example of a deep state official mm. who's very well connected. And I've known his name for years and years and years because Brexit campaigners have been made, were made aware of him because during the Brexit negotiations, he was seen as one of these civil servants who was frustrating. He was, frustrating he was agenda. a massive Remainer. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so he's just one example where you can, re- you can literally, you know, I, I mean, he was breaking the law. Mm. He le- I mean, that, he, he leaked top secret documents. I mean, sure. he, you know, he did it by accident, but, it, you know, but that doesn't matter. Um, and he, and he, he, he's completely gotten away, uh, gotten away with it. And you know, other civil servants who are incompetent, for example, they don't get sacked. I mean, generally they'll stay in their job. They don't get sacked. They'll just get moved on to another department, basically. And this is another problem the civil service has is there's no expertise within the civil service because people generally stay in their job for an average of two years. So when you go into a department, no one actually knows what they're doing because mm. they've, they've basically been working and hopping throughout different departments because mm. they get bored and they actually want, they want different experiences. And that, that's how you get promotions in the civil service sure. is to go to other departments. That's how you go up like a grade, what they call grades. So they've got like pay grades that they, yeah. they're able to go up. With. There's so many problems. And in America, what's interesting is that um, 40,000 people are sacked and re- rehired every presidential election because they have the, a slightly different system to us mm-hmm. where they appoint thousands and thousands of bureaucrats. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when the Republicans come in, they appoint Republican bureaucrats. Mm-hmm. And in the lead up to the presidential elections, you have like these huge think tanks in America, like the Heritage Foundation, who um, sort of set people up ready to be hired by the next administration. Sure, yeah, so yeah. there's a huge industry massive. in that massive, massive amount of money swirling around. And it's an interesting way of doing it. They've still got problems because there's loads and loads of civil yeah, servants. Forty thousand is a drop in the ocean compared yeah, right. to, the, to, 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 to the Washington swamp. I mean, it's like, but compared yeah. to Britain, where it's about like a hundred, because yeah. you've got basically all you have is spats. Yeah. So these are the special advisors to ministers. Yeah. These are the only like what I would call the equivalent kind of political, you know, appoint, appointees as yeah. in America. Um, and spats they vary as to their effectiveness. They can't do everything. They can't think about everything. And whether spads are conservative is another question as well. You know, probably conservative. <laughs> sure. Um, some of them are, but 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 some of them aren't. So yeah. so so that's the difference between America and the UK. Maybe and lots of people are saying, listen, we, like David Frost saying, we need to reform this stuff. Yeah, that seems There's, to me to be the, to be the case. I mean, I, 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 what what would be stopping a motivated conservative majority conservative party with a majority in Parliament from drastically whittling down the civil service because it would make it a more affordable and it would make make it be much more nimble in terms of actually getting 
uh, their policy agenda through. There's nothing stopping them from doing that. Well, it's, it's, it's a hugely that? complicated issue. And Cameron tried it, and every government tries to reform the civil service. And the problem is, is it just takes, it takes years to do, because it's such a, as I say, vast, uh, complicated bureaucratic network. And some civil servants say they want to help you, and that they, they frustrate you, and they launch all these reviews. And they, eventually, they just think, we've got other more important things to be getting on with in government. You know, we've got to be thinking about inflation. We've got to be thinking about the economy. We've got to be thinking about all mm. of these crises, COVID, whatever comes up. So it just gets kicked into the long grass because no government's priority is going to be, right, we're going to tell the British people we're focusing on mm. reforming the civil service. Who cares? You know, so it's such a complicated issue for any government to do that there have been repeated attempts over the years to reform it. And probably, the, you know, the most effective one was Tony Prime Minister at this was Tony Blair because he was the guy basically man. He they came in. He, he reformed it in the wrong direction. Well, exactly. He they came in in '97 and they mm. thought this the civil service is a, basically a Thatcherite conservative establishment. And there was probably some truth in that at mm. that time. Mm. The civil service used to be a very conservative institution. If you ever watch Yes Minister, which is very accurate, fantastic sitcom about the civil service back in the '80s, mm. those civil servants aren't necessarily left wing. I mean, they're, they're probably more conservative traditionally, mm. traditionally conservative. Um, but it's the sort of permanent, what they call, what Tucker Carlson calls permanent Washington. Yeah. The same thing, permanent Whitehall. Is it sort of a de facto and unofficial, in the case of America at least, where their constitution is more the result of design than organic growth? Like in the case of Washington, sorry, in the case of, yeah, in the case of Washington, it's sort of an unofficial de facto fourth branch of government, which sure. is permanent. Well, and, you, and, you, and you since always, the, you got to think about it, right? So like you, whoever comes in in 2024, if they haven't already been president before, sure. you know, they have to come in and someone has to kind of tell them how to be president. Mm. You know, this is the buttons that you have to press, mm. and this is where you need to sign, and this is the procedures here. And, and these people don't go mm. anywhere. They, they've been there for 30 years. Mm. And I mean, if you ever fly over Washington, D.C., in the Nova area, it's just a suburban sprawl of government employees, you know, mm. subsisting on sinecures for like the last 30 years. Exactly. I think, I, I don't know what your solution would be for the UK, but I mean, at least in the US, you can just fire people. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Vivek yeah. Ramsey, I mean, yeah. one of his, uh, who I, I don't think is also a very tenable presidential candidate, but he had an interesting idea of just abolishing the Department of Education. Mm. Like, you can just turn it off in a day, yes. and, and everybody who worked there, it's like, well, okay, here's your pension, and yes. go find a new for job. For sure, I mean, there's people, there's, there are conservative politicians who say, and, and by the way, this stuff needs a lot of thinking, you know, there should be a lot of um, research done into this, mm. you can't, I wouldn't just like, go on a whim and just start abolishing departments. But there are, I mean, maybe you could. <laughs> yeah. There are some people, or maybe if you're a revolutionary, you could. Uh, there are some people who say, for example, you know, why do we need a, a department for culture, media, and sport? Yeah. That, that didn't exist, sure. you know, until relatively recently. Why do you need an equalities minister? Mm. Why do you need a women's minister? At, at the very least, we should maybe like, you know, whenever a new department is set up, it should have a sort of an automatic sunset clause built within it. So oh, that, for it, sure. so that yeah. it expires yeah. within five years. Mm -hmm. And if it can't justify itself before a committee, because this is the, like what, what was Milton Friedman's favorite famous comment, there's nothing, there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government program. Like, sure. like, in, unless its expiry date is built into the yeah, foundation yeah, okay. of the institution itself. Unless it's something like the Ministry of Defense, which obviously is always going to be needed. We don't, we don't need a sunset clause there. But that would seem to me a sensible way of going about it. But another thing that I've noticed, particularly in the United States, in the last, well, ever since Trump, really, is that both people on the left and never Trumpers on the right, again, talking about people like David Frum and Bill Kristol, they've been very skillful, I think, at uh, equating the swamp sort of the, what we're talking about, that the, the permanent bureaucracy with the rule of law itself. So that if you go after the swamp, 
you're necessarily going after the rule of law in their eyes, and therefore you're sort of a dangerous authoritarian. I don't agree with that, to be clear, because I mean, the, the, the American Constitution was always set up to have checks and balances built within it because there was a fear, as James Madison put it, that if you just let pure democracy run amok, you know, the people may start forwarding what he called improper or wicked projects. I mean, that sort of thing can happen. So there should be checks and balances. But those checks and balances are supposed to be um, presented by Congress and the judiciary, not this, as I say, an unofficial de facto fourth branch of government, which people like David Trump have. I mean, he's, on, he's on record saying things like, when Trump says, I want to drain the swamp, by which he means the deep state and those functionaries who are not, part, who are not in the American Constitution, they're not honored by the American Constitution. When Donald Trump says he wants to drain the swamp, he means the rule of law. And this is something which has um, exercised the, liberal, the, the left liberal imagination in America such that even if Trump were to be effective at going after the swamp, or even if we had a sort of Trumpian figure in Britain who was effective at going after our own slightly smaller swamp, he would be sort of tarred by the BBC and The Guardian, or she, by the BBC and The Guardian as a sort of dangerous authoritarian. Well, Frum's more right than he realizes there, because these are the people who ensure that the ratchet only goes one way that things only move in a leftward direction because their incentives are to continue expanding the bureaucracy that they're entrenched in. And I think, you know, when he talks about the rule of law, he means kind of the, the liberal homogeneity uh, that you, you just simply can't escape from these days. I mean, maybe it was different in the Thatcher years, but mm. these people are entirely left-wing because that is the incentive structure for them to be. Yes. And people sometimes say on the right, like, we can kind of trench ourselves in there as well and we can take it over from the bottom up but you can't infiltrate an institution to a meaningful level without it infiltrating you first and i think you know at least in america this is the biggest political question here it might be immigration but mm. then it would be number two for sure is mm. how do we clear a lot of this out i mean personally I, I would do what elon musk did at twitter i would just turn people's badges and emails off and then when things break, rehire re them back <laughs> to, to, to get it working again. Well, I agree with you to an extent. I mean, this is we're talking about people's lives here. You know, you know whether they get their welfare check or, or whatever, using American terms, um, or not. And you know, this, there's some really important functions of the state, which if they break down, there are serious consequences for ordinary people. And we can sort of laugh about it on a podcast, but um, you know. I wouldn't just sort of willy-nilly start firing tens of thousands of people because there could be, you know, there could mm. be serious consequences for people. And I think this goes down to a fundamental question of what conservatives should do. So, you know, there's this argument among certain like left-wing conservative MPs who say that, oh well, um, we can't, for example, abolish these departments or reform the civil service or or change the law in these ways because we are conservatives and we're here to conserve these institutions. Mm. Isn't that the whole point of being conservative? Yeah, is to yeah. conserve. Well. They miss, they, they miss the point entirely. You are defending a liberal establishment that has existed for like 20 years max. Exactly. That you're not defending rights that have been fought for immemorial, over thousands or of Or immemorial years. customs or yeah. immemorial institutions Which or anything is what, like that. Absolutely, they're completely they misunderstanding yeah. what conservatism is. Mm. And these sort of almost philosophical debates that go into the arguments that we're having now mm. are, are interesting and something that people should be trying to, um, to, to be more have more clarity on I mm. think like we need to have more clarity on this stuff mm. we need to make the argument for almost being revolutionary conservatives to put mm. that you know to, mm -hmm. to start abolishing to start being radical in that way mm. that is a conservative but, thing to do I mean Yoram has only talked about this in yes. his book you know about re restoration yep. versus mm. revolution right yes and a bit, a bit doing it in a, in a, in a cautious and, and prudent way but nevertheless thorough well thank you gentlemen for joining me Evan Riggs Stephen Edgington uh, this has been deprogrammed and we'll see you again next time Hello, if you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel, 
and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as three pounds per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.